0: Field, people will come, and yeah, it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're
1: doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's South Side baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, James Fegan. James, the White Sox take the notion of the Friday news dump very seriously. Five o one p m Friday, they sent out a press release about Michael Kopech sitting out the 2020 season. And then you got to work, no more streaming, no barbecuing, no running on the lake. You're hunkered down on your phone. Why is Michael Kopech sitting out this season in 20 Um, minutes or less?
0: The perfect storm of reasons, I guess. Um, I would say that I, I mean, fundamentally nothing that he, his camp expressed concern about is an overriding factor without the pandemic. Like that, Uncertainty about it, and while he's not medically high-risk himself, the concern about maybe spreading it to others or, or people close to him who could be vulnerable, all that creates this – and the fact that, you know, with, you know, testing screw-ups going on, you know, in Houston and with the Cubs this morning and delays in LA and and uh, DC and, uh, you know, whatever the Diamondbacks are doing to third-party labs to try to get through the backlog – all this lingering uncertainty about the season is kind of that's kind of raising it to the level where maybe smaller issues can put him over the edge of saying, I don't want to do this or I think it's better not to do this. Um, so I, I, I feel like part of maybe the response around the league of that, their original state of concerns of um being unsure about getting him ramped up uh, in three weeks, uh, whether he can physically do that, whether that's, prudent for him to physically do that when this first year back from Tommy John surgery, a year that was going to be extraordinarily measured and cautious and, um, you know, limit his innings and all that, that, that is something that has been met around the league with like, is that really not something they could have worked out um, with the team? Is that really not something that they could have mapped out some plan for? They obviously are very high on Kopech. They wouldn't, if he really thought like, you know, I can't work in a bullpen role, I can't, you know, pitch every other day and um, you know recover that quickly. Why couldn't they have worked out something like that? And yeah, that, that'd be a, a valid comeback, but it's uh, it's part of the full menagerie of concerns. And the other one was not ha- having that uncertain role was something that he, um, you know, that his, uh, his his group kind of um, specified as something they're worried about. That he they wanted him on that every five day schedule. Um and, and the f- just be able to kind of map out what he was going to do and how he's going to recover, and they weren't sure that that was going to be um, the case in this kind of shortened season. If that was even something the White Sox would be in position to to guarantee him. And of course, that I, sounds yeah. like something that could work out as well, but it, yeah, it, it seems like, like along with that, and along with the, all the medical concerns <laughs> that are, are present in the situation, and along with not knowing the season's going to count or, or go through just made them um, kind of back away from the table is what was presented to me.
1: Yeah. The, I guess the thing that surprised me a little and I'm not, you know, criticizing him. I think, you know, MLB rightfully so is letting people sit out or opt out. He's not in the opt out category because he's not high risk. Um, So he's not going to get paid. He's not going to get service time. He loses in this situation, you know, as much as the, the, the White Sox needed him as a, starter or reliever or however they want to use him. he's he's definitely losing in this. So that's why I was a little surprised because you know there's a lot to gain just from trying it, I guess. and the fact that he didn't pitch last season, I know from reading your stories and, and even talking to him very, very little, how serious he is and how competitive he is. He's not one of these guys in the back end of his career. You know, I, I would have thought maybe he would have wanted to pitch. But, you know, I guess when he talks to us eventually, he'll probably explain that kind of reasoning and what's what swayed him this way.
0: Yeah, and that's something that, um, you know, given the fact that no one's really going on the record right now, is that they kind of want to leave him to um, explain it when he kind of comes back. Um, you know, there's not like some guarantee or, or like some line of saying of like, I'll comment on it now, but they're kind of expecting, knowing Michael Kopech and how – he has been with the media since coming over to Chicago. We're expecting that you know whether it's Sox Fest or whether it's spring training, there's going to be a, a moment where he kind of explains everything. Uh, well, it's, it's, I'm kind of diversion, but there, there's a little bit of skepticism that there will be a Sox Fest this year in any kind of reasonable form. But <laughs> right, there's expecting that when next season comes around, that there will be. He'll probably be very detailed and exhaustive in his account of, of all his reasons going into it, and. It could involve a lot of things and maybe some things that haven't been stated yet, but they don't they felt like he presented everything to them um, that he wanted to about why it wasn't work and they were going to support him to it. And, you know, the big line that's been over this weekend is that they don't really want to speculate about it further and they don't want to kind of bring in anything about his history and kind of lead to um, people to kind of place upon him reasons they think he might have done it. Based off their perceptions about Michael Kopech. They want to just kind of leave it as, um, you know, his, his camp has put out the reasons they put, and, you know, he'll, he'll put out his own statement in, in due time, but we don't want to project upon him uh, things unfair, like, uh, you know, the fact yeah. that he's...
1: Uh-huh. Let's go into that. You can lead into Um, it. All right. uh, Let's lead into that. So, and first off, the idea of um, that everyone's just going to not speculate and be quiet. It worked really well with the Derrick Rose injury. I can say, um, you know, from covering that mess and showing up every day wondering if he was going to talk before the game. And then uh, that blew up just dramatically and ruined Derrick's reputation in the city. Um, this is a little different because obviously we're in a much different situation right now where people are getting, actually getting the benefit of the doubt to your point. So news like this tends to create miscommunication. White Sox pitching coach, Don Cooper, who is, you know, our greatest ally as a quote, you know, from reporters, I can't get enough coop. Um Sometimes right. coop can, can muddy the waters a little bit because coop is coop. And uh, he's always been coop. And he brought up, kopeck's mental health in an interview with our friend uh the dutchman in the sun times and it wasn't in a bad way it was more of coop just saying you know he's concerned for him but it 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 confused people because then it brought up like oh no maybe what james reported isn't true kopeck's actually he's had some he's talked openly about his depression and anxiety and it's part of you know kind of kopeck's personal mental health brand of talking about this stuff and being open so coop brings this up but as you reported um, last night, and we, we published this morning, um, Coop might not have been on the inside of these conversations that were happening between Kopech and the White Sox. What, what can you tell people about that?
0: So, like part of the element, and maybe part of the reason, what will lead to speculation is that in interviews with players, and in the interview with Coop as well, it's it's clear that Michael hasn't like been in great, hasn't been in like detailed communication with necessarily every member of the team. And all of the coaching staff, there was a very, um, and result of that, there's going to be people who feel a little bit out of the loop. Um, you know, especially uh, certainly his teammates right now are mostly siding towards the, you know, I don't know, but you know, we support him and that's kind of the default stance and probably definitely the safe stance that they want to abide by going forward. Um, so I, I think kind of what Coop kind of speculated on, I think is fair for everybody to wonder. Um, but it, coming from the team itself, it kind of maybe obfuscated whether or not how many people had actually were privy to, to Michael's reasoning or whether or not this was something the team itself was wondering about him. But it, it, from right now, from what I've heard from both sides is that there was a meeting between Kopec and um, Jerry Reins or Rick Hahn, assistant GM uh, Jeremy Haber, uh, two weeks ago where they kind of hashed it all out. And he provided his reasoning. There's a full accounting of reasoning that there should be no um, misunderstanding about what he what his reasoning is and whether or not he's OK between the people who are privy to that. And then following up on that, he had an hour long phone call with Rick Renneria. So from the Kopex camp uh, perspective, they said, you know, we've talked into this. We've spoken to the senior leadership of the White Sox. They understand where we're coming from. They're supporting us. Um, that should be sufficient. And so at, as a result, you know, they don't want to hear a whole lot of like uncertainty being aired from the team or people with the team about what he's doing or, or kind of there, the concern would be that if you kind of, while well, Coop's, uh, you know, concern is very genuine and it's come out of the fact that he cares about Michael by speculating that it, it could be mental health related. It, could serve to maybe seem to delegitimize the reasons that he's put forward or say that it's all just a, uh, you know, uh, a cover for, for the mental health aspect being weighed. And, and maybe, you know, if you suggest somebody that's mentally unwell, you're in, in some, in some sense that can fundamentally undermine their decision-making or the credibility of their decision-making. And that would be something they take up and true, and that the White Sox are, uh, you know, obviously trying to avoid going forward and, You know, it it seems like they kind of addressed it and will be trying to avoid uh, anybody making uh, comments about Kopech other than, you know, the thing that we've been getting from players recently, which is, you know, got to respect his decision. There's a pandemic going on. You know, how can you judge anybody? Um, You know, it's it's obviously not a decision that's totally aberrant across the rest of the league, even if there are no other White Sox players um, who have opted out at this point.
1: And the meeting was in person between Kopech and everyone?
0: Right, that meeting was in Chicago. Uh, okay, but the the phone call. I, I'm guessing that Rick Renneria was not in Chicago yet because I think he only got arrived a couple days before um, <sighs> summer camp, as it's being called on the jumbotron every day.
1: Um, okay, so yeah, this is seems like everything was handled well, and sometimes Coop uh, maybe should just say no comment.
0: <laughs> I mean, a line that heard from Kopech's camp, you know. Not that anything was on the record, but was that you know it they it was nice to be with a deal with a team that seemingly clearly cares about the player. like they came away from it very um happy with how the white Sox handled it. So while I think it definitely would help at some point probably if there was more communication with everybody else who's because you know every player is getting asked about Kopech rightfully and every coach is getting right, asked about Kopech rightfully. that's us doing our jobs. And, uh, it's not like morally wrong to comment, but the, the lack of right now, while you understand why he has not just told the world about his reasoning, um, it, it does put them in a situation where some guys going to be like, well, I don't know, uh, you know, who knows what it could be. And, and, you know, that naturally gives it a speculation. I would hope that, you know, you brought up the Derek Rose situation, the fact that there is kind of finality of. Kopech is not playing the season at all. Um, like he's not going to come back late or you know walk through the bullpen like Ricky Vaughn in the World Series and all of a sudden like save the team or something like that. I would or, hope that would Cal-
1: or even Kyle Schwarber,
0: right? Theoretically, that would lead to less speculation. But you know, it's it's sports. It's inevitable. It's the you know the highest pitching prospect uh, on the team. Uh, people are going to wonder when he's going to be back and you know until he walks to the door i mean people are going to be skeptical that he's going to be all the way in full go in 2021 so these there these doubts and these uh this uncertainty can only be kind of you know uh, deferred for so long
1: yeah there you know a Sox fan i know tweeted out to me you know a pretty good take on it that he uh, he understands and respects and he's glad that no one is piling on copeck right now especially you know in the media or fans it seems but when Kopec does come back in 20, you know, next season, presumably there's pressure on him. There's maybe a little extra pressure, but I mean, there's probably already pressure anyway. How, how, what have you think, what have you thought of the fan reaction to this?
0: I would say the loudest voices are probably pretty supportive. I mean, everyone really kind of rallied around him during like all of his kind of public uh, sharing of what he was going through at SoxFest. I feel like the wave of um, kind of progressive thought towards how athletes are treated in terms of, you know, really trying to be more cognizant of them as human beings and, and um, encouraging them to admit vulnerability and the, the mental strain of their roles, um, that has kind of coalesced into making Kopech kind of the White Sox avatar of that front. But I think there's inevitably – some element of the rah-rah, you know, tough it out, you know, hyper-masculine, um, you know, those people are sports fans too. Um, and certainly a lot of them are White Sox fans. And I think there's obviously, there's definitely going to be an element like there is with pretty much every player that um, they're going to be like that Kopech is soft, that Kopech needs to prove it, that Kopech needs to shut up and play. And they're going to want to see production to to some degree. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to be an element. I think it's going to dog him until he puts up a 200 inning season or I don't know, 180 season. Now that these dang millennials and their innings counts. Um, and and there, there is going to be a bit of a you know he's got to produce. He, we're tired of um, hearing all this like hubbub about a guy who's you know pitched in four major league games and the fact that maybe he has staked out this position of wanting to be a a starter and how they want his starting career to be very managed, that's going to put a lot of onus for him to produce and show that it's worth it. And that the White Sox commitment towards um, honoring his long-term career wishes and developing him in the certain way that they both envisioned, you're going to want to see the fruit of it at some point in time.
1: Yeah. And I I think for me, I just – I, I mean, yeah, like I obviously support him, whatever, but I'm disappointed because I want to see him pitch. And I think that's how I'm not a White Sox fan. I, I can imagine White Sox fans having, you know, more intense feelings about that. I just want to see him pitch. I mean, that's kind of why we do this. We like, you know, as much as the, the backroom stuff is interesting and readers like it and we like it. And that shows your reporting chops. You'd also just like to be able to report on, you know, what we can see with our own eyes. And that's Kopech throwing fastballs in the high 90s.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I've been covering Kopech for, you know, three, three and a half years now and probably seen him pitch in person. I mean, I've probably seen him pitch more minor league games than major league games uh, at this point, but it it was a little (laughs) reminder in spring training that when he came out and all this like kind of all the covering the personal side of him, covering his origin story, going to his dad's house, seeing the little like uh, net that he like was, was pitching in uh, growing up, and then driving out to this obscure, empty lot, uh, in the middle of Take- Texas. Where you know, if he wanted to just murder me and dump the body, that, that could have been, you know, that was equally <laughs> an opportunity taking-
1: for him. Taking awkward looking pictures of his dad in a dress shirt in front of a field.
0: Yeah, where he, uh, little Michael, <laughs> as a six year old, is throwing like 50 pitch progressions uh, until the sun goes down. <laughs> to see him go on spring training and like throw 101 in like his first audience, like, oh, that's why we're doing all this. I kind of forgot. I thought we were just doing it to doing it, but we're doing it because He's not this just guy a character actually, in your story. <laughs> right. This guy's like actually an elite talent. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's so much. From just a pitching nerd standpoint, you know, there's so much about like the spin rate of Michael's fastball that um, and, and the lights of it that I've heard so many accounts of, but haven't gotten to get the, the good data that you see when you know somebody pitches in an actual major league game and baseball savant tracks it all. It'd be nice to actually go through him from a technical standpoint, which was kind of how I first started to appreciate him because I feel like I've been doing the other side of it for, for years now. Uh, and not that it's exhausting or tired, but um, it, it, it's almost like we this identity of Kopech has been entirely removed from the first reason we started paying attention to him, which is that the dude throws really hard and has potential to be a very, very good pitcher. And like all the traditional um, – you know, criticisms of his type of profile of being somebody who was really wild and somebody who was a high school arm and was supposed to get hurt. And, you know, there are questions about the makeup. Um, and when he was getting drafted, you know, some scouts still text me derisively guys who scouted him when he was 18. Like, ah, oh, I, I knew he wasn't going to, you know, produce. I knew off the field stuff was going to get him. There's still a chance. I think he still has the ability that he's really gotten past most of that. If we can just have a non pandemic season for him to kind of, Beat all these odds that were supposed to fail him. It would, it would, it would be a good story.
2: Hey, listeners! Producer Cam here. Look, I probably don't need to tell you this, but just to be safe, I'm going to tell you: smelling good is really important, and that's where Hawthorne comes in. Hawthorne offers an array of great smelling products designed just for you. Take a quick and easy two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will lay out an accompaniment of great products, whether it be their two colognes, one for work and one for play, shampoos, deodorant, the whole enchilada. And guess what? Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free return. So make sure you check out Hawthorne today at Hawthorne, with an E, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E, dot C-O, not dot com. Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Back to the show.
1: All right, so we know Kopech's not pitching. Who is going to fill the role? We didn't know exactly what his role was going to be and that's obviously part of the, the whole thing we've been talking about from his camp. But... The White Sox have some starting pitching depth they like, but it's, you know, there's not, not a lot of sure things once you get past the first couple guys. Uh, once you get past Giolito and Dallas Keuchel, how does the rotation shape up after those two?
0: Well, it's ironic because of Kopeck leaving kind of takes the rotation depth for me away from, well, they got more guys in slots they can kind of play around and be creative and, and use a lot of depth towards. Now I'm looking at them, and they got six starters for five slots and that kind of sounds like the depth you need to survive uh this 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 season like I think they got the two minor leaguers in Dane Dunny and Jimmy Lambert but I think those are obviously that's not you know One of your main guys gets hurt and you slide in somebody who's never pitched above double A before. That's not, you know, a seamless transition. That would be, you'd expect to get worse if you had to make that move. Right now, to me, they just seem like they have as much pitching as they need to run a regular five man and not get burned. And you have two guys in Gio Gonzalez and Carlos Radon where they're coming back off injury. And so far, Things have gone well. Um, you know, Carlos Vidal hasn't had any hiccups, uh, you know, which is saying something, given that he's had an extensive injury history coming back from Tommy John. And Gio Gonzalez just had a, a three-inning outing, which he said was the first time he's thrown that much all of 2020, and that, you know, his uh, shoulder problems probably would have kept them out of opening day in a normal season, and that he's really benefited from the time off to rest it. So those are two guys you're not 100% on. Obviously, things are trending well, but they're... You wouldn't be surprised if some setback occurred that pushed them out of the rotation, and then you just have five guys in your normal team. I wouldn't say I have any particular reason to doubt either one or say, like, this guy's not going to make it for sure. But at this point, you are waiting for the shoe to drop uh, on anybody or for anybody as a setback, and you just have your normal starting five. And if that's the case, two of the guys you're going with, Dylan Cease, Ronaldo Lopez, have not really been good major leaguers yet. Um, certainly the White Sox have made their case for why they're sticking with Ronaldo Lopez and, you know, he had a decent 2018, but, you know, he's kind of average or a little below average starting pitcher until he shows otherwise at the major league level. And Dylan Cease, uh, you know, he's got all the talent in the world and he's got like this, you know, upper rotation stuff profile, but he's got a career ERA in the mid fives. He's not a proven guy at any, he could be, you know, decidedly bad again because, for all the flashes of talent he showed last year, you know, if you just look at the stat line, um, he was a bad pitcher last year. So it's not, um, it's not like a proven source of strength until uh, a lot of guys take a step forward and, you know, two guys at the back end show that they're healthy. And even then you, you can question whether or not Lucas Giolito is going to be exactly as good as he was last year, or if Diles Keuchel is, uh, you know, getting older and maybe not the, you know, maybe the Cy Young in 2015 is not super relevant to who he is in 2020. So I, I think it's kind of a big question mark and they'll kind of need all the depth that they have uh, to navigate it. Um, not to say it's not going to work, you, but you I, talk- I don't think- you- go ahead.
1: I was going to say, you talked on the phone with uh, Dane Dunning and, and uh, Jimmy Lambert, you know, away from the zoom, uh, the zoom group calls. Uh, how confident are they? And the, you know, what, kind of what they can do this year and they're, they they do not know, you know, and I think Lambert was the one who said, like, he'll do whatever, but you know, kind of how confident are they that they could, they could fill in as needed.
0: I mean, they both are in a position. It's, it definitely speaks to the, cause they're both coming off Tommy John as well. They both have not pitched in a live game since they had surgery. But they're both in a position where they're projected back-end guys. There's really not a guarantee that there's a spot for them. It's not like the organization's just going to clear the way to make sure that Jimmy Lambert and Dane Dunning have rotation slots. And they also, given that there's no minor league season, this is their opportunity to pitch, is to make the team. And this is their way to make a major league debut. And they're both 25, and it's not exactly like... You know, every every prospect's going to be a year older than they seemingly should be next season uh, for the levels they're at. But it, it, this is their opportunity. So both of them said that they would pitch wherever. I mean, Jimmy Lambert was more outright like, look, I, I can look at the depth chart and I don't think I'm going to start for this team. But I'll I'll pitch out of the bullpen. And Dane Dunning was more like, yeah, I'd do whatever. Dane Dunning uh, pitched as a reliever in college because that Florida team, uh, I guess, was as stacked as this current White Sox team was. I, I mean, I think A.J. Puck was like the... Uh, the ace of that staff who's now the top prospect in, um, you know, Oakland. So they're, they're both uh, trying to campaign for basically the, like the, the, the uncertain role of getting used as a multi inning relief guy and maybe pitching again, two days later, they're signing up for that because they see that as their shot. Um, Not to kind of draw two direct comparisons to another player, who maybe not be willing to do that, but they are. Uh, And I think, looking at the White Sox bullpen, not to besmirch it too much, but it's not like they're tossing in, you know, it's not the Yankees bullpen. It's not like five, you know, guys who are all could be closers um, competing for. I think that would add, uh, you know, some good dynamic to them and the fact that they're going to be carrying four extra guys start the season. Why not carry some guys who can, you know, give you multiple innings out of the bullpen, um, not knowing how the season is going to wrap up. I, I think it would be more exciting than, you know, carrying Ross Detweiler or, uh, or some of their, you know, veteran NRI's that they're bringing into the second site. Why not give the prospects a chance to to show that they can add value? I think them being really good right off the bat is probably um, provides a better chance to have the White Sox be better than expected than you know just going with some veterans or you know uh, putting Carson Fulmer on, into a meaningful role because he's out of options.
1: <laughs> all right let's enough pitching um just for the next couple minutes i want you to, to rave about Luis roberts uh tripping out of the box home run like the yokel
0: that you are um well mostly i i may have you know inner squad baseball is a joy and a treasure and it's a privilege to be in the ballpark but maybe i was transcribing while during this point in the game so <laughs> i hear like the loud contact and I start tracking the ball, and then I, like, hear that, uh you know, like, some sort of chatter, some sort of, like, yelling. I wouldn't say it was, like, yelling or screaming, but, like, you hear some talking that indicate that something has happened at home plate. And I look over, and Luis Robert is on his ass in the batter's box. And I think, like, for a second, like, holy crap, he's hurt. <laughs> then I just watch him, like, blow out his Achilles uh, <laughs> live. That's going to be something. But then he dusts himself off and starts trotting the first base. And I look up and I see that the, the ball that he hit is like clattering into the seats. And at that point, I look back to like Carl Sudan, who's like just tossed his glove and is looking. He's like talking to Robert as he rounds the bases like, how did you do that? And so I'm trying to figure out what happened. And it's essentially that Robert fell over while he hit the ball. But I found his explanation kind of more jaw-dropping than even t- kind of the moment, which was just confusing, which was essentially that Carlos Rodon, you know, a guy who throws 50 sliders a game, if you let him, he was looking for the slider. He's looking for a pitch um, outside and off speed. He gets fooled and Carlos Rodon is busting him inside with a fastball. Now, when guys get fooled um, on off speed and maybe realize it, maybe they have a, l- a little opportunity to like slow up the swing and reach out and poke the ball. It looks a little funky, but you know they they have the the extra half second to to adjust and, and make contact. When guys get fooled and they're looking off speed, and a fastball comes, typically they're late. They miss it. It's in the glove, and they're they don't have a chance. The fact that he was able to adjust to it, as he describes, and not only. Um, the fact that it fooled him enough to make him fall over because he's backing up in the batter's box because he's about to lunge out and all of a sudden he has to kind of back up for an inside fastball. To that, not only make contact, but hit it 400 feet to center while falling down. That's insane to me. And that seemed insane to everyone. It seems insane to me. And the fact that everyone else on the field, all these trained professionals reacted in the same way, kind of made me feel like, yeah, we're seeing something extremely unusual that he's able to do that. Obviously, I think... The most successful version of Luis Robert is not getting fooled by fastballs, uh, but hitting them in stride. But the fact that he has that physical recovery uh, ability, um, yeah, that, that, that's that's why they gave him a lot of money.
1: <laughs> Do they? They got to start letting you guys sit in the outfield instead of uh, lingering, you know, by the the dugouts.
0: Yeah, that's the one place that's uh, off limits. I don't know why. I don't see how we come in contact with uh, anybody out there, but. Maybe they think we'd sneak into the bullpen or something.
1: All right. Good stuff, James. Busy week uh, already for you. Now the week just started. So keep up the good work. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone, to White Sox Business. Please leave us a like, comment, rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're not already a member of The Athletic, you can save 40% off your first year by visiting theathletic.com forward slash southside. It's all one word, Southside. Our business is done here.